You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Coop. This morning we're talking about grace again. We've been on grace for the month of October. It's an amazing topic. And today we're going to talk about grace when love interrupts. And so what we'd like to do is start off by sharing a story uh, from a movie that you probably would recognize, uh, Les Mis or Les Miserables. And it's a story about a guy who's thrown in jail as a young person and he's spends five years there because he stole some bread, and then he spends several other sentences because he tries to break out. In total, he spends 19 years in jail. And then he's released, but he's kind of marked. He can't find a place to stay. No inn will take him. It takes place in the early 1800s, and he ends up staying in a bishop's home. Bishop is very nice to him, very kind, opens up his home and says, you know, you can stay with me. So he's there that night, and he's sleeping in this nice bed the bishop gives him, and he's awake, and he goes to his default, and he sneaks into the bishop and the bishop's sister's uh, room, and he begins to steal the silverware. And uh, while he's stealing the silverware, the bishop comes in and finds him. And the bishop does something amazing. The bishop really demonstrates grace. And... The story goes on that Jean Valjean, he ends up not going back to the life of crime that he had lived, and he was a very hardened person. That moment of grace changes him. The law doesn't change him. Grace changes him. We've been talking about how the law doesn't change our life. The law is a lot like a mirror. It just shows us our flaws, but it doesn't have the power to change us. Jesus' grace has the power to change us. We realize we've flawed. We all know we've missed it. The mirror showed us that, but God comes along, and by his grace, he changes. He removes the flaws of sin in our life. So let's go ahead and show us a little clip from the movie Le Miserable, and from there we'll get into the message, Grace When Love Interrupts. to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, and... thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes? Of course I gave him the silverware. 
But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madame Gillot, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. Grace is a powerful thing. It does ransom us from fear and from hatred. Law didn't change him. I mean, it put him in jail and hardened him. But it was grace, this love interrupting his life, shocking him, that changes him. He goes on to be a mayor. He goes on to do some amazing things. And if you know the rest of the story, you understand that. This act of grace changes his life. God's got a way of doing that. He's got a way of interrupting our lives and just demonstrating his grace for us. Remember, the Bible says that while we were yet far from God, while we were sinners, he pursued us. He loved us. He loved us first. Love activates love. And he, out of his great love for us, his grace, unmerited favor, we didn't deserve it, loves us in the condition we are. Out of that relationship, we want to serve him. It's not because we have to. It's because we want to. This separates Christianity from every other religion on the planet. Every other religion is you have to do this, this moral code, these ethics, this law, this path. If you do all the right things, you'll be right. You'll get karma, nirvana. You'll be reincarnated. You'll finally reach the right spot. And if you do enough right things, you'll get there. Where God comes along and says, no, no, it's totally different. I will put you in right standing because of what Christ has done for you. And out of that, you'll want to live right. Just like Jean Valjean, because of the grace imparted to him, it changed his life. That's a picture of what God has for us. Yesterday after the service, I went home and I turned on the TV. I was going to catch the last of the hockey game. And uh, so uh, the Canucks were playing Colorado yesterday. And I turned it on and I thought I had the wrong station. I thought maybe the station made a mistake. So I went to another station and sure enough, it was right. They were winning 7-2. to two. I thought, now I know that I know we live in the age of miracles. The Canucks are winning. They're beating Colorado. They're up five. There's no way they can lose this in the last third period. And sure enough, they didn't. They got another goal, and they, and they, they went on to win. And uh, it was great to see them win that game. Uh, and I, you know, you, you think about it because I guess Henrik Sedin had a hat trick yesterday, got three goals. And I think, man, what's that guy worth? Uh, if you study, look it up, he gets 
just over $6 million, pretty good salary, and uh, maybe he earned it yesterday, I don't know. Another guy who scored the last goal, he makes $500,000 a year, and, and Luongo, of course, our great goalie captain, he makes over $7 million. a lot of money for playing a sport, and they think, are they worth that? See, the sports world, the working world, the business world, you get paid on your performance, Man, if you can stop pucks, you can make a lot of money. If you can score goals, you can make a lot of money. You get paid on your performance, and that's the way the world works. So my question to you this morning is, what are you worth? I don't know if I'm worth what Luongo's worth, but I'm worth this or I'm worth that. And, and so we kind of derive our value based on our performance. Then grace comes along, and it just it's a total different economic system. Please understand that God's world is usually upside down from the way we do things. I'm going to take you to a parable today that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 20 that really helps show us that God's system is very different than our system. And thank goodness it is. This parable comes after Peter makes a comment. The rich young ruler, the story of the rich young ruler has just taken place. And he's gone his own way because he doesn't want to follow Christ because he's got a lot of stuff. He doesn't want to give it up. And then Peter says to Jesus, well, what should we get? What about us? What will we have? Because we've left a lot. Uh, I had a fishing company. We had partners in our fishing company. We had family. We had, we had a certain name in the community. And we've left that all to follow you. What will we get? And Jesus in this parable is addressing that attitude. What will I get? Look what I've done. Look what I've performed. What will I get? Because when it comes to God, we can't do enough stuff. We can't have given up enough stuff to earn our right with him. Uh, He's done it for us through Christ. We receive it, and out of that, we live for him. So our Lord tells us a parable in Matthew chapter 20. So if you've got your Bibles, let's head over there. Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. And we're going to read about the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Pretty well-known parable. It's not talked about as much as the other parables because, quite frankly, a lot of us don't get it. It's kind of a strange parable, and so we're going to unpack it this morning. Let me give you a paraphrased version, and then we'll go back to some of the individual verses. kind of goes like this. Early in the morning before the sun comes up, this landlord comes into town. He rolls into town in his pickup truck, and he's looking for some workers on his site. And the laborers are out there in the morning, and some of them got up very early. They're there. They got their lunch packed, and they've had their cup of coffee already. They've already had their Tim Hortons, and they're out there. And they live by this. The early bird gets a worm. So they're out there, and they're waiting for the landlord. They're waiting for a job. Guy pulls up in his pickup truck, and he says to him, hey, you guys want a job today? They go, yeah, we're looking for work. He says, well, I got a vineyard over there on the hillside, Palestinian hillside. It gets pretty hot during the day. It's over 100 degrees Fahrenheit, 37 degrees Celsius, and you're picking grapes all day long. If you want to do that, I'd love for you to come work for me today. They say, how much are you paying? And so they hammer out an agreement, and they come to a set price. Now, they're getting more than minimum wage because we know from the story they get a denarius. We don't use that in our currency anymore, but back then the currency was a denarius. Now, it's pretty significant because a denarius was a one-day wage for a Roman soldier. A Roman soldier made more than a common laborer. These guys are kind of at the bottom of the totem pole, but yet they get an agreement for a whole denarius a day. So that's pretty good pay for these guys. That's, let's say the laborer made 100 bucks a day. The Roman soldiers would get $200 a day. So let's say, bring it into our scenario, they're going to make $200 that day for 12 hours worth of work under the hot sun picking grapes. 
So they get in the pickup truck, they head off to the field, they're out there, the sun rises, and they're thinking, this is going to be a pretty good day. I'm going to get $200 in my jeans before I go home. I'm going to be able to feed my family, pay some bills. I'm glad to have work. Pretty high unemployment that time of the year. They were glad to get the work. Sun comes up. About 9 o'clock, it's beginning to warm up, and they see the landowner getting his pickup truck, and he heads back into town. Shortly after that, he returns. He's got some more workers. They look around with the buddies that they started the day with. They say, oh, you know, that's all right. We got some more workers and a lot of work to do. That's cool. Some more workers showing up at 9 o'clock. They got kind of a late start, but that's okay. So they continue to work. Lunch time comes. They get their lunch bucket out and having their lunch. And they see the owner. He gets in his pickup truck and he heads back into town. Comes back a little while later. They got some more workers. Oh, okay. These guys come to get a half day's work in. Good for them. And they go ahead and they continue to work. Three o'clock, coffee time. The landowner gets in his pickup truck and heads into town again. He comes back with some more workers. Man, these guys are really getting a late start. I mean, I know we've got work to do, but he doesn't have to hire people at three o'clock in the afternoon. This is pushing it a bit. But anyhow, they keep working on. They kind of resent them a little bit because they've been there doing all the heavy lifting. You know, the, the peak of the heat has already passed. But then at five o'clock, I mean, at five o'clock, you begin to wind things down. If you've ever worked on a construction site, you know the drill. About half an hour or 45 minutes before you finish the day, what, is your, what does the foreman say? Okay, guys, wrap up the hoses, wrap up the cords. Let's start putting stuff away so everything's together so we can quit on time, get home, and get back to work tomorrow. Well, the landlord at five o'clock brings back some more workers. They're going, what is with this? I mean, the sun's beginning to set. The day's beginning to cool down. And now these guys got like, this is the slack part of the day. We're just going to wind things up. And you bring people at this time of the day, whatever, it's your place. So they, they work for another hour. And then the foreman says, okay, we got to pay people. So the guys just start right in the morning. They, they get right up there and say, okay, we know the way this works. First come, first serve, right? Isn't that the way it works? First come, first serve. That's the way it works. Early bird gets the worm. No pain, no gain. That's the way life is. So they step right up front there. They're kind of waiting, excited to get their denarius. They're 200 bucks for the day. And, and the foreman comes forward and he says, um, with those who start at 5 o'clock, would you come up first? And the guy who started early in the morning before the sun came up, he's just a little bit miffed. He goes, you know what? That's really not fair. I was here early. This guy comes at 5 to pay him first. I want to get out of here. My wife's waiting back home, and I'm going to have to wait for everybody to get paid, and then I get paid last. I don't like that. So the guy comes up, and the foreman says, hey, you started at 5. I want to pay you. Here's a denarius. The guy started at 5. Just, uh, a denarius. 200 bucks. I started five. Oh, no problem. Thank you very much. And he, he takes that and he's, he's out of there, man. He's gone. What a deal. Wow. I'm not saying anything. I'm just heading home. Now, the guy who started early in the morning, he's looking around and goes, Woo. I can do the math on that. 200. Maybe he made a mistake. Maybe he's thinking it's a denarius an hour. So I've worked 12, 12 times 200, 2,400 bucks. Hallelujah, I'm, we're going on a vacation if that's the case. And he's, he, now he's pretty happy. I mean, he was a little bit miffed, but now he's happy. $2,400, $2, that's good money in a day. So 
Then the foreman says, hey, you who start at 3 o'clock, come on up here. And he says, for you, we have a denarius. A denarius. The guy at 3 is really happy because he's getting 200 bucks for a couple hours' work. Then the guy at noon gets paid a denarius. Now, the guy who started early in the morning, he started to think, wait a minute. I really don't like this trend. I don't like it at all. Because if it keeps going this way, I'm going to make the same thing the guy who made it at 5. The guy at 9 gets paid a denarius. And then they said, okay, now those who start early in the morning, you can come forward. And he said, here is your denarius. And the guy's ticked off. He goes, just a minute. You don't get it. I started work before the sun came up. I worked under the sun all day. These dudes come at 5 o'clock, and you pay them the same as you pay me. That is not fair. I'm very upset. The landlord says, I don't know why you're upset. We had an agreement. I didn't give you even a laborer's wage. I gave you the wage of a Roman soldier. I gave you denarius. Didn't we agree on that? Yeah, I know we agreed on it, but it's not fair. That guy only worked an hour, and he's getting paid when I worked for 12 hours. This is not right. It's not fair. And the guy says, hey, wait a minute. It's my vineyard. It's my money. Are you saying I'm evil because I spend my money the way I want to? I was fair to you. Then Jesus says, he who is First will be last. He who's last will be first. Peter's listening. The Lord's talking about his attitude of entitlement. And thus, he teaches us on grace. So, let's unpack this parable this morning. Number one, grace is unfair. (laughs) It is. I mean, from our perspective, from our optics, grace is not fair. Now, it's strange when we listen to this story... Most of us identify with a guy who got hired first in the morning, right? Oh, yeah, that's me. I mean, I've been overlooked, and I have been, yeah, life isn't fair. And we identify with the guy who's hired early in the morning. Not very many of us say, yeah, that's me. I'm the guy who was hired at five. I am overappreciated, and I'm the least deserving. No, most of us think, you know, I deserve more than what I'm getting. You know, and we we live in a unionized world. The kingdom of God, by the way, is not unionized, just in case you're wondering. Grace isn't fair. Number two, grace is the great equalizer. He treated them all the same. The person who started at early in the morning, 9 o'clock, noon, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. He treats them all equal. Grace is the equalizer. The Bible says in Christ... There is neither person who's a slave or free, a person who's male or female, no matter what culture, no matter where you are on the social ladder, when it comes to grace, we're all equal. We look around this room this morning. We've got people from all different countries of the world. We have people that live in penthouses. We have people maybe that live on the street. We've got people from every different walk of life. Why are we all here together? Because of God's grace. Amen. What equalizes us is His grace. When we come into this place, guess what? There's no pecking order. We're equal in Christ. Amen? He is a great equalizer. And that's what happened here. He demonstrates that in Christ, we're equal. Now, this may be a little bit hard to take, but if we think of a fellow like Picton, the murderer, it takes the same amount of grace for God to save him as it did for God to save Mother Teresa. It's equal. It sounds shocking, but it's true. It takes the same amount of grace. 
Grace is an amazing equalizer. Our challenge is not that God didn't keep his word to us, but that the latecomers have been promoted to the place of equality. Jesus will confront, I want my share, fair share attitude. And he did this by paying the last first. He could have very easily said, hey, you guys, you start early in the morning. Come over here. Let me pay you. Okay, on your way. Hey, now you guys have started later on the day. I'm going to pay the same thing. He could have done that. They wouldn't know the difference. But he intentionally challenges us. Matter of fact, I think Jesus wanted to make us feel a little uncomfortable with this parable because his system is about unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. He wants us to... See, this is not... You don't catch this with your head. You catch it with your heart. It's spiritually given, so it must be spiritually caught. If you catch grace with your heart, wow, it's as liberating for your life as that act of grace was for Jean Valjean. It liberates us to live for him freely. We live in a world where I want this, I get this, I do this, I get that. But when grace frees us, the chains are broken, and we can really live a liberating life. There is an interesting story in 1990. Hyatt Hotel in Boston. couple goes in, and they're, they're planning their wedding. They have expensive taste. They go in. And they meet with the manager of the banquets. They said, we're planning our wedding. And we would like to have the best. So we want amazing flowers. We want a full course meal, hors d'oeuvres. And we want all the, all the trimming, the band, and the everything. And they plan this amazing wedding. And they put the package together for them. And then they say, you're going to need a very big down payment for this. I forget what it was. Something like I think the wedding was $13,000 or something plus some. And, and so they make a down payment. Well, a number of months pass, and the groom gets cold feet. He calls up his fiance and says, uh, Honey, uh, I've decided I don't want to get married after all. And uh, now it's up to, the, to that fiance. She has to go back to the Hyatt. She, she goes back to the Hyatt, and she meets with the banqueting manager and says, You know what? My, my fiance canceled on me, backed out of the wedding. Now what do I do? And she says, you know, I'm very sympathetic because the same thing happened to me. And she empathized with her, but she says, we got a contract. You're going to have to pay. That down payment cannot be refunded. So you can call it a loss or you could put it towards a banquet anyhow. And the light went off for this girl. And she says, yeah, let's throw a party. Let's throw a big party. See, 10 years ago, she uh, was living on the street. She was homeless. Somebody reached out to her by grace, and her life got changed. She got traction, got a career, moved ahead, and she had made pretty good money. And uh, here she was now with this nest egg, and she remembered the people that she used to be with. And she says, let's throw a party for them. And so the Hyatt said, all right, your money, let's throw a party. And so she goes out, and she invites everybody, 1990, there in the Boston Hyatt, they started arriving. People with their shopping carts showed up. People showed up with their bags. People showed up in all that were drug addicts. People showed up from everywhere. She invited them. And they had a meal like they've never had before on fine china, many courses, hors d'oeuvres, great music, and dancing. It was a night for them like they've never had before. That's grace. That's grace. What I liked most about the story was her choice of meat for the night. Her choice of meat in honor of the groom was boneless chicken. <laughs> Very good choice. Grace 
Number three also happens when we position ourselves for undeserved favor. Oh, this was what happened to those uh, workers that were there at maybe 5 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They, it says they were there idle. But you know what? I give them credit for being there. Have you ever been on a, out in the playground when you were a kid and you picked sports teams and you weren't the first one to be picked and you had to kind of wait, oh, pick me, pick me, I want to make the team? I remember on the playground, some kids would just leave. It was too much for them because they didn't feel like they were going to get picked. It was a certain act of humility just to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to stay here. I want to get picked. To their credit, they're still there later on in the day. They could have gone home and slapped or done something, but they're still there at 5 o'clock. They still want to work. That's humility. God gives grace to the humble. We can position ourselves for God's grace, and they did that. They didn't, re- they didn't really deserve it, but they certainly received it. Number four, grace happens when we focus on God's greatness. This parable is about the landlord. It's about God's goodness. Now, here's an important point. The first set of workers had an agreement. Because if you read in verse 2, now we, and he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day. They had an agreement. The rest of the workers... Now, to understand this parable, you've got to get this point. The rest of the workers don't have an agreement. They just respond because the master says, the landlord says, I'll do what's right for you. Come work for me. I'll do what's right for you. And so they go to work for him. They don't have an agreement. So at the end of the day, when the guys start early in the morning are complaining, they had an agreement. He was more than fair to them. Now, here's the point. It is much better when we serve God just to say, God, I trust you. I'm going to live for you, and you do what's right for me. He will bless you beyond what you can ask, think, or imagine. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can ask or think. That's God's grace. We don't deserve it, but he gives us far more than we deserve. If we try to hammer out agreement with God, it will not compare to the goodness that he pours out into our life. The problem with these guys was, that started early in the morning, is they started to compare themselves to these others. They were treated fairly, but as they began to compare themselves, they began to covet what the others had. And after they coveted what the others had, they began to complain. And after complain, they began to criticize, and they had a very sour attitude. The pattern still works today. It goes from compare to covet, complain, criticize. Then you're in a ditch. So much better not to compare. Just thank God. Rejoice with those who've been blessed. Man, if they've been blessed, good for you. Keep your eyes on God and his goodness. Number five is grace is extravagant because there's no scarcity in heaven. No scarcity. God is able to make all grace, every favor, blessing come to you in abundance. This is a good verse to put your name in. God is able to make all grace, every favor, earthly blessing come to David in abundance so that David may always, under all circumstances, whatever the need, David will be self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support, furnishing abundance for every good work and charitable donation. That's grace. Your God will take care of everything you need. His generosity exceeding even yours in the glory that pours from Jesus. Philippians 4.19. Number six, grace is God dealing with us according to who he is, not according to who we are. Those guys got paid at five, started at five, at three, at noon, nine in the morning. He didn't deal with them according to who they were. He dealt with them according to who he was. 
Aren't you glad God doesn't deal with you according to what you've done, who you are? He blesses you according to who he is. He sees you as someone creating his image, and he blesses us according to what he's done for us. Number seven is for grace to be grace, it needs to be the same grace, the same amount of grace, and the identical dispensing of grace to everyone. God does not dispense wages. He dispenses gifts. For the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. By grace, you've been saved through faith. Not of yourself. It is the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. He doesn't dispense wages. It's gifts. Wages are not gifts because we don't earn them. It's not a reward system. We live in a world of rewards. I went through my uh, Aeroplan magazine and in there, they had a picture of this guy, and he, 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 he's now got some, I forget what the status is, and he gets his luggage first, he gets certain uh, sushi at the L.A. Uh, lounge, he has all these benefits, and at the bottom line says, I earned it. I got all the benefits. You ever come on a plane, and you go by the people that are sitting in, in first class? There's just a certain smugness about them as you go by them. You notice that? It's like... Oh, you're in economy, are you? And you kind of shuffle away your way to the back. And, and then when you sit in first class, it's like, yeah. <laughs> We're human. We do that kind of stuff. But God's not human. Aren't you glad he doesn't reward us? You don't have to get aeroplan points to be blessed by God and keep track of all your points. So free. Let me end with this story this morning from Tony Campolo. Out of his book, The Kingdom of God is a Party. This happened to him in Hawaii. Great story to wrap up with. He says, up a side street, I found a little place that was still open. I went in, took a seat on one of the stools at the counter, waited to be served. This was one of those sleazy places that deserves the name Greasy Spoon. I didn't even touch the menu. I was afraid that if I opened the thing, something gruesome would crawl out. But it was the only place I could find. The fat guy behind the counter came over and said, what do you want? I said, a cup of coffee and a donut. He poured a coffee, wiped his grimy hand on his smudged apron, grabbed the donut off the shelf behind him. I'm a realist. I know that in the back room of that restaurant, donuts are probably dropped on the floor and kicked around. But when everything is out front where I could see it, I'd really appreciate it if he had used a pair of tongs. As I sat there munching on my donut, sipping my coffee at 3.30 in the morning, the door of the diner suddenly swung open, and to my discomfort, in marched eight or nine provocative and boisterous prostitutes. It was a small place, and they sat on either side of me. Their talk was loud and crude. I felt completely out of place, was just about to make my getaway when I overheard the woman beside me say, tomorrow's my birthday, I'm going to be 39. Her friend responded in a nasty tone, so what do you want from me, a birthday party? What do you want? You want me to get you a cake and sing happy birthday? Come on, said the woman sitting next to me. Why do you have to be so mean? I was just telling you, that's all. Why do you have to put me down? I was just telling you it's my birthday. I don't want anything from you. I mean, why should you give me a birthday party? I've never had a birthday party my whole life. Why should I have one now? So when I heard that, I made a decision. I sat, waited until the women had left. Then I called the fat guy behind the counter over, and I said, hey, do they come in here every night? Yeah, he answered. The one next to me, does she come in every night? Yeah, that's Agnes. Yeah, she's in here every night. Why do you want to know? Because I heard her say tomorrow's her birthday. I told him, what do you say you and I do something special? What about us throwing a birthday party for her tomorrow night? Hmm, 
cute smile came across his chubby cheeks, and he answered with a measure of delight. That's great. I like it. What a great idea. Calling his wife, who had been doing the cooking in the back room, he shouted, hey, come out here. This guy's got an idea. Tomorrow's Agnes's birthday. The guy wants us to go in with him, throw a party for her right here tomorrow night. His wife came out, smiled, said, that's wonderful. You know, Agnes is one of those people who's really nice and kind, and nobody does anything nice and kind for her. Look, I told him, if it's okay with you, I'll be back here tomorrow morning about 2.30, and I'll decorate the place. I'll even buy the birthday cake. No way, said Harry. That was his name. The birthday cake's my thing. I'll make the cake. So at 2.30 the next morning, I was back at the diner, picked up some crepe decorations, made a sign that happy birthday, Agnes, decorated the diner from one end to the other. The woman who did the cooking must have gotten the word out on the street because by 3.15, every prostitute in Honolulu was in the place. It was wall-to-wall prostitutes and me. At 3.30 on the dot, the door of the diner swung open, and in came Agnes and her friend. I had everybody ready. All, after all, I was kind of the MC of the affair. And when they came in, we all screamed, happy birthday. Never had a scene a person so flabbergasted, so stunned, so shaken. Her mouth fell open. Her legs seemed to buckle a bit. Her friend grabbed her arm to steady her. And as she sat her down on one of the stools along the counter, we all sang, happy birthday. As we came to the end of singing, happy birthday, dear Agnes, happy birthday to you, her eyes moistened out. Then, with the birthday cake, candles lit, when it was carried out, she lost it. She just openly cried. Harry gruffly mumbled, blow the candles, Agnes. Come on, blow the candles. If you don't blow the candles, I'm going to have to blow the candles. And after an endless few seconds, he did. He blew the candles. He handed her a knife and said, cut the cake, Agnes. Yo, Agnes, we all want some cake. Agnes looked down at the cake, then without taking her eyes off of it, she slowly and softly said, Look, Harry, if it's all right with you, if I, I mean, if it's okay, if I kind of, what I'm kind of asking you is if it's okay, I want to keep the cake for a little while. I mean, if it's all right with you, if we don't eat it right away. Harry shrugged and answered, Sure, it's okay. If you want to keep the cake, keep the cake. Take it home if you want to. Can I? She asked. Then looking at me, she said, I live just down the street a couple of doors. I want to take the cake home, okay? I'll be right back, honest. She got off the stool, picked up the cake like she was carrying the Holy Grail, and walked slowly toward the door. As we all just stood there motionless, she left. When the door closed, there was a stunned silence in the place. Not knowing what else to do, I broke the silence by saying, What do you say we pray? Looking back on it now, it seemed more than a strange thing for a sociologist to do, leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes in a diner in Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning. But at that time, it just felt like the right thing to do. I prayed for Agnes. I prayed for her salvation. I prayed that her life would change and that God would be good to her. When I finished, Harry leaned over the counter with a trace of hostility in his voice. He said, hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church you belong to? One of those moments when just the right words came, I answered, well, I belong to a church that throws parties for whores at 3.30 in the morning. (laughs) Gary waited a moment and then almost sneered as he answered, no, you don't. There's no church like that. If there was, I'd join it. I'd join a church like that. And Tony goes on to say, wouldn't we all, wouldn't we all join a church that throws parties for whores at 3.30 in the morning? Well, That's the kind of church Jesus came to create. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.